I am Erin Patton, metaphysical master in a millennial age, and it is my life's purpose to guide you and organizations along an enlightened path. So I invite you to sit comfortably and tune in as I welcome you to the Meta Business Millennial, where we get the real conversations you won't get in the boardroom so that we understand this is exactly the path we need to be on in order to grow, evolve, and thrive. Greetings, I am Erin Patton, also known as Master L, and welcome to the Meta Business Millennial Podcast. I am joined here today, and I'm so grateful to have her here. I gotta just start with the introduction by Miss Barbara Best. And I know her because when I was a student at Harvard, the Harvard Kennedy School to be specific, she was the executive director at the Center for Public Leadership, which was this amazing collective, if you will, within the Kennedy School that empowered students to really step into our authentic beingness and knowingness. I mean, I did everything from being a Rubenstein Fellow through the CPL, George Rubin, um, uh, uh, Bill George Fellow, a David Rubenstein fellow and a, George, and a Bill George fellow when I was in the CPL. And also I did humbly as part of the CPL, which was the Harvard Graduate Student Leadership Institute. And there, every conversation, every meeting, every interaction in this center was so wholesome, so fulfilling, so inspiring. I remember I met um, Sheila Johnson at CPL too of BET. And Barbara Best was the the helm at the helm of all of this co-creative work with all of these beautiful people. And now she is currently a doctoral student at the Harvard School of Education. And I am so humbled and honored and blessed to have you on the show today. So welcome. Thank you so much, Erin. I'm I'm so honored and my heart is full of joy uh, to be with you. I've been watching your work. Uh, you have always been such a bright light. You make everyone around you shine brighter and um I, your work is so inspiring, and I really look forward to engaging with you today. So thank you. Thank you, too, because I have I, everyone knows by now, most people know by now that my tag is I went from Harvard to healing. Yes. Because a lot of my story that I, the stories that I share post-Harvard, even while at Harvard, really reflect, I feel like, my shadow side. And I have to start now that I'm starting to heal that I can start moving into the light of what Harvard had been for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful to have you here to kind of work through this because I feel like this is about to be healing for me on so many different levels. Um, working through the light that which I, I gained from the Harvard experience, specifically at the Kennedy School. And I will never forget, we had to apply for these fellowships at the CPL, just so you all know. And for the Bill George Fellowship, we had to write an essay about what leadership meant to us. And you just jogged my memory about this, so I just want to bring it up. But I remember writing about, at that time, I wanted to be an empathetic leader. Like That, to me, was what reflected where I was specifically at the time. I remember I had taken a class from Marshall Gans at the Kennedy School. Marshall Gans is very uh, world-renowned for his work with the Pickers movement for Cesar Chavez and also for organizing the Obama uh, administrative um, campaign. And he talked about the empathetic bridge that we had mm -hmm. to build as leaders to really bring people along for our movement, whatever that cause would be. 
Yet just now you lifted up something to me that goes beyond empathetic leadership, which is so perfect because that's what metaphysics is about. That's what meta means to go above or beyond. And you brought up this conversation of this, this very beautiful theme around spirit leadership. Yes. Oh, I want to jump right in and I want you to really start to um, just give, give us a little bit more background around the inspiration that you, that brought you to this theme around spirit leadership. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Erin. And thank you also for uh, bringing up Harvard to Healing, because that, that's a journey that I've been on as well. And about two years ago, I went through this trans transformational coaching process to tap into heart knowledge. What is the passion I want to bring into the world? Belly knowledge, what drives me? And from that, to write a vision of the work life I would love. And it's taken me in really surprising directions. And I've spent both both you and I have spent so much time on public service leadership, and we've we've been trained as public service leaders. And I'm increasingly realizing that it's spirit leadership that's going to change the tide. Um, and so, you know, I've been deeply moved by the work of Kristen Neff on fierce self compassion. That compassion has a tender side and also a fierce protective side that helps us to set healthy boundaries make positive changes in our lives, speak out against injustice. And a lot of this is embodied leadership work. So I do the self-compassion break. You know, it's got three components of mindfulness, awareness of the present moment without judgment, and then common humanity. You know, you call in a moment of difficulty and you acknowledge that difficulty. We're all facing some kind of difficulty. And then common humanity, but life is full of difficulties. I'm not the first or the last to experience a setback. Others have felt this way too. I am not alone. And then you offer yourself self-kindness using um, soothing touch. I like to put, you know, a fist um, with a heart, strength with love, and offer yourself whatever it is that you need to hear, whatever it is you need to receive. May I have kindness May I be strong. May I rest in love. Um, may we all be seen. May we all be held kindly. May we all live in a just world at peace. And, and I find that having a felt sense of compassion helps me to be a more compassionate presence in the lives of my family, uh, in the lives you know, of, of others in the world. Uh, so I'm thinking a lot about this. How might we center compassion as the foundation of leadership um, to meet suffering with kindness and to know that we're not alone as we work in transformation. So I've been really moved and inspired by your courage in speaking out against these you know, toxic work environments that are really uh, diminishing people. And just yesterday, I was talking to a beautiful friend who's also an alum of the Kennedy School, and we were talking about in Harvard alumni circles, spreading the word on fear, self-compassion, so that people can do these practices wherever there's an opening. Um, and we have to work towards healing and it comes at many levels. It comes in the inner work of healing. It comes in the softening of our relationships. It comes in working for justice and transformation and wholeness in the wider world. So those are some of how I'm thinking about spirit, spirit leadership, but there's a lot. And I'd, lo I'd love to talk more and I'd love to hear what's on your mind, on your heart as well. Yeah, let's get into it because one word that, that really deeply resonates and you just showed a book about it was the compassion. Yes. And I believe that this is... Um, an emotion, an act, a being that is is being, I would say, has been lost in many ways in business and just in our world in general. Mm -hmm. And passion first, as with everything that we do, starts with the self. Yes. And when we haven't cultivated that compassion and that love and that forgiving, that loving kindness for self, 
then it's nearly impossible to um, to radiate that, to to vibrate that frequency, to give that compassion to anyone else. And when we're talking about the culture, the uh, of of a Harvard the high performance environment of a Harvard or beyond or, or any corporate environment similar, then the type of individual that gravitates towards these environments likely has not given themselves any compassion along that journey. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes getting to the upper echelons, if you will, of academia or business or any place rather, um, or any place, it takes, what we've been programmed to have is like a, a drive, a working hardness, um, a punishing almost approach, a, a very overly disciplined approach that generally lacks any compassion. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and this is why when I was at a place like Harvard or, you know, anywhere in that sort of Ivy League um, vicinity, you would hear about students, you know, jumping out of windows or committing suicide. Mm -hmm. or, People just not, and even in the environment of, of, it was very, everyone's like, oh, did you go to Harvard Law School? Because it wasn't it very competitive. Like people don't like each other. Like, so we are, we're already, before we even hit the real world, engrossed in an educational dynamic of, of fierce competition, you know, judgment and, and punishment. And then to say that, okay, actually we need to, flip that and develop this, this mind of compassion, it in many ways, and, and, and to a lot of people goes against the very ethos of what you would consider a business or academic environment to be. So how do you sort of reconcile that, I guess, in your own personal experience, if that resonates with you? Mm, thank you so much. Thank you for those reflections, Erin. And I, you, you touched me very deeply when you share, you uh, bought back the essay that you wrote for the fellowship program. And I remember it, <laughs> remember your essay and the uh, empathetic leadership. And one of my biggest worries when I was at Harvard was that our students would leave with less compassion than when they arrived. With a, you'll remember our, our fellows had a big heart for service and for compassion and care of others. And to be frank, the environment can be very seductive and it's just easy to fall off course and, and to slip. I was slipping from my values. I just, the, it, it's a, it's a place of a lot of fear and it's like immense downward pressure. And there was a monastery right next door. I'm a person of faith. I see myself as a spiritual person and Aaron, I would go into the monastery. I would just sit in the stillness surrounded by positive intention. I would write can light candles and I would say, you know, I'm the beloved. I'm the beloved and we are the beloved. And I would try to cover our students. I would try to cover our staff, but it was taking a toll on me. And I'm very, very blessed. I think we are, we both spent time in Houston. I think you're still in Houston. So I spent, right. I spent many years in Houston. I had all these wonderful mentors who created a very strong foundation for me. And I had the honor of working at the Children's Defense Fund for the extraordinary Marion Wright Edelman, the first black women to pass the bar exam in the state of Mississippi, Dr. Martin Luther King's legal counsel during the Poor People's Campaign on Washington. And she would always come to see me every time she was in Boston and she would say some version of the same thing. She would say, do not let Harvard change you. Do not let Harvard change you. You are a servant. 
your servant leader, you're kind hearted. You know, and she would say all these things about me. You're compassionate, you're generous, you're courageous. Don't let Harvard change you. And that's, I've been reclaiming who, who I was. And I've been connecting with my Children's Defense Fund servant leaders. It's an amazing, amazing group of people. And I think of Dr. Reverend Dr. Emma Jordan Simpson, who's the president of Auburn Seminary. And her vision is to keep the waters troubled and moving towards justice and in doing so to heal the world. And I believe that I, I spend a lot of time outside. So I'm very in tune with nature. I like looking at the water. And I believe it's a time to move forward with courage and compassion. It's time to keep the waters troubled and moving towards justice. It's also time to calm the waters and move forward together with compassion. There's a need for calmness uh, to move forward with steadiness and fortitude. So these are all things that I'm I'm reclaiming. I'm returning like to ancestor wisdom. You know, I'm turning to the ways of my ancestors, ways of the ancestors, those who have come before and also thinking about paving the way for future generations. So tapping into that heart knowledge of what deeper ways of knowing. I love, first of all, your response to that question because it was truly focused on you. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, I feel like a lot of times people are thinking about the impact they have on others and rarely are they wholly self-reflective. And this was very beautiful in the way you were able to tap into your past, into your present, and how it's going to be defining your future. Like, I had no idea the depth of work that you had done with the Children's Defense Fund here in Houston, um, nor had I, you know, understood your own, you know, I didn't know you was praying for us like that. <laughs> I, was, I was covering you. I was trying to cover you with my life, my friend. That's my bet. To build those I, redwood trees and root systems, I really was. But I have to thank you so much because I know that that CPL really held uh, um, and continues to hold a lot of space in a lot of folks' heart. Like, I mean, the money that, I mean, just the money alone was just such a blessing, but the energy that we cultivated in those conversations was unlike anywhere else we went on campus. Let me just put it that way. And, and so, you know, with this in mind, with this idea of, of troubling the water, because I love this analogy, but then calming and stilling the water, because I can see myself doing both in my work. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, I'm here about all about calm and peace. But to get to the calm and peace, you have to have the movement, you know, because still, because the, when you think about water, stagnant water, it becomes, you know, feral and, and, and mosquitoes and, and disgusting. It's not, it's not pure anymore. It has to have the movement. So I would love for you to speak a little bit more to that in terms of your work, whether at CPL or in your current doctoral work, where you're kind of balancing the nuance of, you know, stirring the pot, troubling the water, and then bringing that stillness, that calm to the water. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Erin. I, I love the question. I love your reflections. I mean, I, um, I'm i very grateful to be in community. So this work cannot be done alone. And I'm at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm a doctoral student. It's um, a cohort-based program. So there's 25 of us, just like our CPL fellowship programs. Um, the work happens in community. Joy lives in community. <laughs> Compassion lives in community. So there's 25 of us from all over the United States with a deep commitment to youth and community-centered approaches. And we are moving forward with both courage and compassion. And 
I've been thinking a lot about system dynamics. I've, I have friends who work in leadership and a brilliant friend was sharing me with this insight that every system has an image of the future that it's moving towards and the importance of attention and perception. I mean, leadership in the present shapes the future. And he was referencing a conversation. There was an interview with the head of Netflix who was asked, what is your chief competitor? And he said, sleep, sleep. So our, our systems, Aaron, and you know this, our systems are designed to deplete us. They really are. They're, de they're designed to deplete us. And so the, the question is, what are we moving towards? And are we, what is our conscious image of what we're moving towards? And remember when we were at CPL, the Center for Public Leadership, we would start every year with the image of those redwood trees of Northern California, these giant ancient trees that date back to the time of the dinosaurs. They can live for more than 2000 years and they're 350 feet tall. Do you remember how deep their roots are? Do you remember? Yeah, they're like 10 or 12 feet deep. The trees are 350 feet tall. They're massive. Their roots are 10 or 12 feet deep. So how can they how how can they stand so tall? Mm. They're all they're like this. I mean, they're all interconnected. And yeah, and so if I may, I would love to share this poem that I've shared with our cohort that I used to share with the fellows. Because uh, again, I believe in the power of like interconnection. Uh, the human and the more than human. So there's this poem about the redwood trees that I would read to our students each year and that I've shared with our current cohort. The ancient redwood trees of Northern California, huge as they are, have very shallow root systems, but they cannot be blown over by the strongest wind. The secret of their stability is the interweaving of each tree's roots with those that stand by it, a vast, network of support exists just beneath the surface so that even in the wildest of storms these trees hold each other up and that was always our, my vision our vision our team's vision for our fellows programs we would create strong root systems and that's what we need right now there's um so much isolation so much disconnection we need to come together so we need to think about we need to identify what's our image of what we're moving towards and then we need to be in community. We need to be in community moving towards that vision. Yes, I love that. Um, because that really speaks to the collective consciousness and what we've just been sharing already in terms mm -hmm. of what the fear you kind of brought up, the fear-driven society, the punishing mm -hmm. society that we brought up. And if we're really, or, or when, and as we're shifting this tie to move more towards spirit leadership, the importance of bringing others along. Yes. Period. And yes. this is why I do this podcast, why we do this work, why you're in the school of education and how do we continue to teach and bring others along this journey because it can't be done in a vacuum. It can't, it can no longer be done alone. So this paradigm of a super small elite while mm -hmm. everyone drowning and dying and suffering actually cannot sustain itself any longer mm -hmm. as a world we will collapse and yes. humanity will no longer exist and and, I, and this is a picture that gets painted in a lot of these netflix films this dystopian future or you know because we have choice and free will as very conscious and creative divine beings we can choose a different reality and we can choose a reality that hasn't yet been pictured or depicted or, or featured in media mainstream of a world where we are interconnected. 
where where the collective consciousness is one of love, of, of peace, of joy, of, of acceptance, of willingness, of these higher emo- emotions and, and energies. And that fundamentally is necessary to reach that 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 goal is for us to have that connectivity. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if, if your work, <laughs> the school of education is um, necessarily related to this, but I would love to get into a little bit of, of the work that you're doing in the doctoral program with your community in terms of how you're thinking about the future of education. Yes, thank you so much for those reflections. And I love what you shared about choosing an alternative future. And so our our program is very justice oriented. I mean, we're doing a lot of work on racial justice and leadership. And we were all taking, uh, that's at the core of the work, it's race equity leadership. I mean, we have got to ensure a level playing field for every child. And it should not be the case that one's zip code that someone's born into defines their future. I mean, that's not it's not a level playing field in this country. And so we have to build a more just and equitable world for all children and for all young people. And so we're thinking about systems of care. You know, so what would it mean for every child to thrive, you know, for every child to flourish? What are the supports uh, that every young person needs? But what a lot of the work we're doing, Erin, is um, the inner work of leadership, because it is a time of, it's a time that calls for principled struggle. I mean, it's, we've got to, I've also done a lot of work with the Divinity School, and I have friends working in the program for religion and public life on like conflict transformation. Beautiful friend, Hilary Rantizi used to work, run the Middle East Initiative, a dear, dear friend. She has a, a, a crystallized this into a very powerful statement of how do we dismantle systems of violence and oppression without replicating them? And the answer is is love, but it has to start from within. So as you said earlier, this the self-love, um, you know, and then loving others, loving practice, but it has to start from within. So one of the courses we're taking is practicing leadership inside and out, a three-year course, deep, deep work on the inner work of leadership. And a, a lot of what I've been doing, so when you were talking about this imagining another reality, we have to make space for it. We actually have to rest and listen deeply and pause so we can listen and be in tune with what another reality might look like with deeper ways of knowing within ourselves and within each other. So I've been thinking a lot about space to pause and an environment like Harvard is totally radical. And I've been thinking of Viktor Frankl's quote, between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space is our capacity to choose our response in that choice is our growth and our freedom. So cracking open a little bit of daylight in our own lives, creating a little bit of space between self and role um, in one's day. That's why I like, I like to go out and be in nature. I like to do joy spotting, you know, but that creates space. And then I can imagine new possibilities because I've opened up space. But that that's actually hugely important. And I've seen that in our cohort of doctoral students, just creating a little spaciousness. Because so many students got where they were, as you said earlier, having to be very competitive, you know, having to be very aggressive. And they don't want to be like that. That's not their true compassionate nature, but that's how they got here. But then what's the way forward? It's it's the opposite. It's spaciousness. It's gentleness. It's care. It's love. It's interconnection. But we have to start with ourselves and then draw the circle wide. So that's some of what some of what we're learning. Oh, I love that. And it's interesting that we talk about this idea of, of equity and then also this idea of race, because I talk about this all the time and I'm happy to share this with you. And this is Mrs. 
my viewers and audience, you know, being Black is an identity that I no longer ascribe to in the traditional sense. Because of my metaphysical path, my metaphysical work, and my metaphysical walk, I'm very much aligned more with being a divine human being, a multidimensional being. And this, what I call like my earth suit that I'm wearing just happens to be that of a Black woman. Mm -hmm. And so this whole conversation to me around race is one that really, I believe, needs to be clarified. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if nothing else, it really needs to be clarified for that which it is, uh, um, and I'm going to do my best to articulate the words, but it's really more around hard boundaries, divisiveness, division, mm -hmm. and, and majority, minority, hierarchy, and lowerarchy than it really is around a culture, if mm -hmm. you would. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, it is my greatest desire and hope in this journey of my even my, my my walk as a metaphysical master in a millennial age to really dispel this myth around blackness mm -hmm. particularly in the west mm -hmm. because it has really done a number on our our programming on our mental uh, stability capacity mm -hmm. it has limited us from doing that which we came here on this planet to do because of the prison dominant matrix that has defined what black white race me mm -hmm. and and i just and, and i just and i'm saying this for myself and i'm saying this for those who are, are able to receive it that we really have to start having more intentional and and open conversations around what this race really means mm -hmm. and this conversation really means when you're talking about equity and zip codes and access that's a completely different conversation because right. a lot of people are impacted by this. Yet when we start to get down to race, it creates such visceral, angry, judgmental reactions mm -hmm. that there has to be something deeper that we must be able to explore and acknowledge so that we can heal, release those chains and the bondages of that which comes with those emotions and move into a higher space so that we can really start to make progress, come up with solutions and not be angry, reactive, uh, you know, fighting, rioting. Like this is not, that's destructive behavior. And for my view, it's time for us to move more into a calming of the waters and mm -hmm. a, a thoughtfulness and a mindfulness and, and a healing around, around race for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm, I'm really moved by what you shared and, and thank you. And what you said about we are all divine beings really touches my heart and my spirit. And, and we are. And some of what we've been reading in our work is our, our young people have experienced soul wounds, soul wounds. And so when getting back to spirit leadership, we have to fill our young people up. We have to let our young people know that they are loved and that they are sacred. And like get back to kinship that we all belong to each other you know we are all one human family i am because we are um i think of the mayan wisdom in lakesh you are my other me you know if i do harm to you i do harm to myself do i harm to, if i do harm to myself i do harm to you um and so i i really hear you on that and and just like understanding the child so there's the democracy is not destiny like a young person's 
zip code should not define their path, right? Um, so there needs to be a level playing field for every young person. But at the same time, we need to surround our young people with communities of love and joy. You know, and during during the pandemic, I had the honor of working with this beautiful organization, providing community-based mentoring for courageous and resilient young people impacted by foster care. And I saw the power of authentic, trusting relationships and the magic of connection and belonging that we all need to thrive. You know, and in coaching, I've done a lot of work on the green lens. Like, what, what are we looking at in our systems? Are we taking a deficit mindset where we look at deficits, you know, a red lens approach? Are we looking at a green lens? Are we looking at each person as a hero in their own life, whole and complete with their own answers and hopes and dreams for the future? So I, I appreciate what you've shared and every being is a divine being and we need to get back to that while also addressing the inequalities in this world that are not just, right? Um, but every person is divine and we, like our, there's a great book by Dr. Bettina Love, like we want more than just to survive. We want our young people to thrive. And she talks about, I'm gonna use the spirit murder that's happening in some of our schools. It's just these really desolate, bleak, negative environments for our young people. So I, this is the heart of spirit leadership, to surround our young people with love and joy, to know that we are loved and to extend that love to all young people, to all beings. So thank you for- Oh, yes. And I also love how you brought up this idea of, you know, the spirit murder, because yeah. I, as much as it looks nice to go to a private school, you're paying the 50K a year, whatever it is, versus, you know, the inner city inner city school where they barely have books and you mentioned this quote too i can't remember the person but it, i am you you are me yeah yeah this is why i really <laughs> the the equality the equity conversation it it's it to me still looks the same mm -hmm. i know for most people the material aspect of it makes it seem like wow these, these people are getting such a quality education while these people are suffering but in my view, everybody's suffering. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the reasons why the, the meta business work is so aligned with me and, and where I'm in the direction I'm going, because a lot of people are, are quick to, you know, play victim and look at the, the white men or the man and say, oh, we're being held down or we're not able to have access or things like this. I look at these men and I say, wow, they're suffering, too. Yeah. Looks different. And, and this is why, you know, the, that spirit murder resonates so deeply with me is because when we go back to the conversation around the redwoods and, and our collective consciousness and the collective mm -hmm. who we are as humanity, it actually doesn't matter if I'm studying at a harbor or if I'm studying at a community college, because at the end of the day, our collective consciousness is likely to be exactly the same. We're mm -hmm. both suffering. We both need healing and we're not going to get any farther than this if we don't come into that healing, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then the conversation becomes, all right, well, then if it's not about money, then what's the solve? Yeah. The actually solve the itch. Yeah. You know? then, yeah. And then, so then that begs the question, well, then are you ready to do the work? Yeah. Are you ready to do the real work of healing? Yeah. If, yeah. if if you can't throw more money at it, because we see okay. the schools, we see how they do. Mm -hmm. The kids are looking just the same. So if it's not more money that's going to solve the issue, then what will? Yeah. Fear leadership then. 
Mm-hmm. We're not if we're if we're, if murder's happening at both ends of the spectrum, then the then is the spirit leadership, the love, the compassion, the healing. That's yes. the medicine. Yes, yes, yes. And you, this is really um, crystallizing things for me. So thank you. Like murder is happening at both ends of the spectrum. Spirit, spirit murder. There's just immense loneliness and um, despair in, in yes. all aspects. There's a lot of despair. So it I just really appreciate it. It looks better over there. Because it looks better over there, but there's a hollowness. And I was there. I was, why was I going into the monastery at Harvard? Because there was a hollowness and I was slipping from my values. And a lot of our students, as you said, they had struggled. Um, so what's the solve? The future is healing. Dr. Sean Jinright talks about that. And he's going to be at the ed school this year as a professor. The future is healing. Um, I'm reading a book that's very influential. It's called No Bad Parts by Dr. Richard Schwartz. And it's internal family systems therapy. And this has been really healing for me, Erin, because I've always been a spiritual person. Faith is like the handlebars I hold on to, spirituality in a world that can really feel chaotic. It's like an inner compass that guides my way. At the same time, shame and outcast narratives have been very painful. And so this book has been really healing for me, no bad parts. And what it's about is like embracing all of ourselves in all of our fullness, you know, and that going, mapping our inner systems and there's um, like exiles based on things that happen. There's parts of ourselves that we have exiles. And then there's protectors who like play, take on these hyper vigilant roles to protect the exiles. And then there's these firefighters who sometimes keep us from having relationships with others and ourselves. So there's a lot going on within, but the idea of just creating space within myself to listen to all of my parts, that we can be a family within ourselves. And then once that internal wholeness then projects out into the world. So that's been really powerful work for me. I mean, I think that's powerful, no bad parts, um, to, to love and accept ourselves and all of our fullness. And then if we start making those shifts, our interactions will shift in the outer world, I believe. Period. That's Period. Yeah, that's the word. It's the word. Yeah. And that's what we, in my view, need to teach young people. That's what I do in my practice of teaching business leaders. And that's Mm -hmm. what I do for myself. Because Mm -hmm. this new earth paradigm, if we don't do that work, we will not be able to make the transition. Right. Because the, the new earth paradigm is, is just about that. It's about coming into a newness and a wholeness within ourselves and seeing mm-hmm. it that all of us is made in the, in the, the grandest perfect perfection. Yes, yes. And a lot of people don't like that word perfect, but especially coming from a, you know, a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but understanding that that wholeness of self, the parts that are so ugly and nasty and painful are actually are what most likely our gifts. In our yes. yes, and we're all like a work of art fashioned in great love. We are. Each person is sacred and unique. And so even I, I like to be out on the river and think about if like if I lived on an island, what would my rhythms be like? Just following the tides, what would my rhythms be like if I just lived on an island and was in tune with the waters? Because we can't operate at this fever pitch all the time. So I like walking along the river. It reminds me of this flowing in and out, taking moments to pause, going gently, responding to the current in any given moment and being willing to recalibrate based on what the journey calls for. Like I like, I love Dr. Robin Wall Kimmerer book. This is another one, um, Braiding Sweetgrass. This is beautiful. Have you, have you read this? This is beautiful. Oh, it looks beautiful. It's beautiful. It's Dr. Um, 
Robin Wall Kimmer is an indigenous scientist. And this book, Braid, Braiding Sweetgrass, is a braid of stories to heal our relationship with the world. And she imagines a different relationship in which humans and the natural world are, are like good medicine for each other. And she talks a lot about the moral covenant of reciprocity and, and returning the gift to the land for all that we've been given, for all that we've taken. How might we return the gift to the land? So I, I carry some gloves with me and I every time I walk along the river, I just, I clean up. I, I don't like to see trash along the river. I can feel the energy of the rhythm. You know, the river gives us so much. And so how might we give back to the rhythm? With art, with music, with loving action, how might we honor the land um, and the people? That's that's the, the vision of what to move towards, right? Yes, 100%, 100%. And, and, with, and speaking about that vision, I'd love to learn more about your personal vision. I know we're kind of, wrapping up here on time. So I want to make sure you have a chance to share what you're doing. Like if you want to maybe give us a preview of the, your thesis or maybe what your vision is for, for your work, what does that look like? Thank you so much for the question. I've, I've been reflecting on this Rumi quote to allow yourself to be silently drawn by the strange pull of what you really love. So I don't know exactly where I'm headed, but I would love to think more about how might we cultivate compassion as the foundation of leadership to meet suffering with kindness, to know that we're not alone as we work for transformation? How might we lead with love and authenticity through rigid and oppressive systems? And I think about the great teacher Thich Nhat Hanh's work and how we can water seeds every day of love, compassion, joy, equanimity. We can take small steps every day. And the idea of small, sweet steps, a few we can take a few small steps in the direction of our ideals each day, not 12 or 14 steps, like two or three, you know, and if we didn't, then we wake up the next day and we, and we recommit. It's that gentleness. It's that gentleness, steadiness. That's the way. That's the way I think. I love that because that deeply resonates with a conversation I was having earlier around when I first started my spiritual journey. I remember I did this 21 day, um, meditation challenge with Deepak Chopra and Oprah Winfrey Ooh. and I prefer that one of the meditations was Deepak imagining us like walking through the jungle and removing it pushing each leaf aside as we were like clearing the path to get to the top of a mountain and it's literally just that like the clearing of the path it's literally just like gently moving each like leaf branch to the side as we kind of walk through and it's it's slow it feels however i believe that it's an all it's an accelerated path directly to where you want to go mm. because when we're moving fast when we're running particularly when you're thinking about business or like a traditional like harvard culture it's like you know fail fast like iterate like change and go you know go at warp speed but in reality it's 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 really the opposite because you want to know you have your direction you have your yeah. vision know where you're going and you take your time getting there and trusting that God, that universe, that everything yeah. have your back and that yeah. you are you're completely protected. Yes. And that really gets into the points that you were sharing around too, like loving all parts of yourself. Because as moving slowly through that journey, you get to know a lot about who you are. You get mm -hmm. to everything about yourself and refine it and love it and nurture it every step of the way. So I love that. Thank you. 
the beautiful image of clearing away of the and the path itself is the goal and in that gentle clearing we move forward towards the horizon that's so beautiful what a gift uh, yeah and so if you don't mind just letting listeners know like how they can stay in touch with you how they could support you and potentially your cohort and the work that you're doing Thank you so much, Erin. I um we are I post on LinkedIn a lot, so you can follow me on LinkedIn uh, and our cohort as well at, at Barbara Best, and um, that's the mechanism I've been using for now. And also a practice of joy spotting, capturing and savoring moments of joy and beauty in our everyday lives and relationships. And we've been doing that as a cohort, and we invite you to join us in that practice as well. It's brought us a lot of joy. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so so much for being part of this conversation, this collective consciousness rising and of course joining the meta business millennial podcast and for all of those who don't already know you can follow me at i am erin patton on all social media channels the meta business millennial podcast is also on youtube and everywhere you get your podcast and if you want more resources you can check us out at the metabusiness.world that's our website and you can book a discovery call with me learn more about myself my ranch the commissionranch.com and how we are bringing some of this work to the land with the Kawishan Ranch. So until next episode, I love you all so much. Peace. Did you really love this episode of the Meta Business Millennial Podcast? Well, I am honored, and I appreciate you subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. In the meantime, stay bright, my friends. Much love and light. Peace.